years ago, probably 25 years ago, I was pastoring the Oak Park Free Will Baptist Church in Pine Bluff, and we had a father-son camping trip at Lake Washita. Uh, mostly it was fathers and sons. I didn't have a son with me. I, I had a daughter back then, and that was it, but uh, I was there. Uh, we were at a campground there at Lake Washita. Some guys were staying in campers. Others of us were in tents, and, and uh, probably 30, 35 guys all together. Uh, we finished eating dinner one night, and we were all sitting around the campfire, and uh, there happened to be a granddad there named O.L. Eastwood. He had two son-in-laws there, and one of the son-in-laws, Gary Ross, had his two boys, Justin and Jamin, with him. And after we finished dinner, it was, it was almost dark, not quite completely dark, a little dusk. Gary Ross, the dad, said, where's Justin? Has anyone seen him? Where in the world is he? And about that time, his uncle, Les Cooper, was seated around the fire. I'll never forget what Les said. He said, there he is, driving O.L.'s truck. <laughs> now, understand this kid is five years old, all right? <laughs> he had gotten into his granddad's old beat-up Dodge pickup truck and released the emergency brake, and there he was. We could just see his head and his little hands in the 10-2 position. And he was steering down that road at the campground, which was a very curvy road. Well, he didn't make it very far down the pavement. He went off into the ditch and hit a tree right before he went into the lake, right? So after we recovered the truck and pulled it back up to its spot and made sure the boy was okay, we were seated around the campfire. And I'll never forget what his granddad O.L. said, and maybe what he didn't say. What he didn't say was, you know, my old truck needs a new bumper, <laughs> because now it needed a new bumper. <laughs> but he didn't say that. He didn't say, my old truck needs a tune-up, or my old truck needs a new set of tires. He didn't say, my old truck needs a fresh paint job. He didn't say any of that. But I'll never forget what he did say. He said, you know what, guys? My old truck needs a new driver. <laughs> and by that, he meant he didn't want his grandson driving his truck any longer. Well, you know what? Through the years, that's been 25 years ago, I've thought of that numerous times, and it reminds me of our life. Many of us keep crashing in life. We keep making the same old mistakes over and over again. We keep rolling into the same ditch. We keep trying and we keep failing. And sometimes we come to the end of a year and the start of a new year and we say, you know what, I'm going to make things different next year. I'm going to set some New Year's resolutions. I'm going to patch things up. I'm going to get a new start. I'm going to apply a new coat of paint to my life. But what we really need is a new driver behind the wheel of our life. And that new driver we need is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I'd like to show you a man in the Bible who let Jesus Christ suddenly and dramatically take over the controls of his life. His name was Levi, and we read his story in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse number 13. 
You might just want to follow me on the screen because today I'm going to read out of my New Living Translation Bible. Let me say a word about this translation. This is the translation I just finished reading the Bible through in 2017 from. I love the NLT. It's a great translation that just kind of speaks modern English the way it is. And so this past year, every day, my devotions came out of the NLT. I just finished reading the Bible through. I'll start again tomorrow on a new plan. You know what? I'd encourage you to do the same thing. And you might try reading out of the NLT. I've chosen the NLT today because of the way it translates certain passages or words in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what it says. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then you got to love this. In parentheses it says, There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Well, what do you think about that? Hmm? But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? That's the reason I like the NLT. It just tells it like it is. And that's exactly what they were thinking. Why is Jesus spending his time eating with such scum? They were referring to the tax collectors and sinners and disreputable sinners, which included prostitutes and thieves and murderers. Why in the world is Jesus eating with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said back to them, healthy people don't need a doctor. I love the brilliance in that. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Man, isn't that great? Thus I gave this sermon the title, The Doctor is in the House. And let me tell you, the doctor is here today. Heavenly Father, I pray that as the great physician the doctor of our souls, you would tend to our needs today. Lord, help us recognize that there's something wrong in our life and that we can't fix it ourselves, and that we're in need of a Savior. And I pray, dear Lord, that today we would admit our spiritual need and bring it before you and allow you to do divine surgery in our life and heal us of our sin disease. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I don't think tax collectors have ever won a popularity contest, have they? I mean, in general, we don't care too much for tax collectors, do we? But seldom have they ever been hated as they were in Jesus' day. The nation of Israel was under Roman occupation. 
The Gentile armies of the Caesars had taken over the country. And there was an intense hatred of them amongst the Jews. I think we would feel the same way and probably have the same reaction if we were defeated and occupied by a foreign country in the United States. Well, the Romans leveled taxes against every Jewish family. And they recruited Jewish turncoats to collect those taxes. These people were called tax collectors or publicans. And the Roman authorities said to these publicans, this is the amount of money that we are demanding from your district. This is the required amount. This is what we expect you to collect from the people. But if you can collect more money than this, you can keep the excess. Mm. And so these Jewish publicans would not only collect taxes for Rome from their fellow Jews, but they would also overcharge their family members and friends and their neighbors. And in the process, they would line their own pockets with money. No wonder they were hated. No wonder. But as you read the Gospels, you kind of get the idea that Jesus didn't hate them. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, you get the totally, a totally different impression. We understand that Jesus felt compassion on them, that Jesus loved them, that Jesus' heart went out to them. And there was one publican or tax collector in particular who was attracted to Jesus of Nazareth, and that is this man, Levi. Levi occupied a toll booth on the main highway that ran through Galilee from north to south. It was in the vicinity of the city of Capernaum. And perhaps Levi had noticed Jesus traveling up and down that highway. And we don't know this for truth, but perhaps Jesus had been the only person who, when he stopped to pay his taxes, actually smiled at Levi or spoke to him and gave him a kind word, or had any, any friendliness at all about his disposition as he paid his toll. There was something about Jesus that touched Levi's heart. Perhaps Levi had mingled on the fringes of the great multitudes who had congregated to hear some of our Lord's great sermons. We don't know this for fact, but perhaps Levi had seen Jesus heal someone who was sick, or maybe cast out a demon. We do know this in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is in that city of Capernaum. He is teaching to overflow crowds in the home of Peter. In fact, the house is so full, people are standing right next to each other. The house is so full, no one can get in the front door, and people are even on the outside listening through the windows. And as Jesus taught, all of a sudden, there was a great commotion overhead. Debris started falling from the ceiling. What had happened was this. Four men had a friend who was paralyzed. And they carried the paralyzed friend on a mat to see Jesus so that Jesus might heal him. They couldn't get through the front door. So, being the smart Greenwood High School people they were... I thought I'd throw that in there. They climbed on the roof, 
and they peeled away the ceiling tiles and they lowered their friend by ropes down in front of Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, Jesus was impressed not only with their ingenuity, but especially with their faith. And it's cool what Jesus said to the lame man, the paralyzed man. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, there were some religious people there, church people, Pharisees, and it ticked them off. They said, who does this man think he is? He doesn't have the power to forgive sins. Only God can do that. And Jesus, hearing what they said, knowing what they said, looked back at them and said, hmm, you tell me, which is harder, to say to this man, son, your sins are forgiven, or son, pick up your mat and walk out of here? But so you will believe I am the Son of God, he said to the man, pick up that mat and walk out the door. And so the crippled man picked up his mat and he walked out the door. When I said that in the first service, everybody started clapping. Yeah. That was a great miracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus proved he was the Son of God. He has the power not only to heal us physically, more so he has the power to heal us spiritually. He's the great physician. Immediately after that, we read verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. The first thing that I want you to notice here in this story about Levi is the great change that took place in his life. And let me tell you, it was a remarkable change. There he is, working at his tax collector's booth, taking taxes from people who didn't want to pay their taxes, lining his own pockets, getting rich in the process, and Jesus walks by, looks at him, and says, Levi, follow me and be my disciple. And what is amazing is, Levi immediately did it. He immediately got up and followed Jesus, and he left everything behind. Now, some people reading this think, well, you know, that just must have been uh, Levi's nature. He must have been impulsive. He, he must have just done that on a whim. I, I don't think that is the case at all. I think Levi had been thinking about this for quite some time. I think Levi was sick and tired of his lifestyle and the way he had been living. And he knew that he needed a change in his life. He had heard about Jesus. He had seen Jesus. He had listened to Jesus. And when Jesus came by, Levi was ready. And when Jesus spoke those words, follow me and be my disciple, Levi just got up and left everything. I mean, he left everything. He left that tax booth. He left his job. He left his money. He left everything behind. And he got up and he followed Jesus. You know why? His life was changed. Man, everything changed right then. Think about the many people in the Gospels whose lives were changed forever by this stranger of Galilee. I think of Mary Magdalene, who had been tormented perhaps for years. Seven demons lived inside of her. She became sick and tired of living like that. Coming to Jesus, she put him in the driver's seat of her life, and her life was changed forever. 
I think about John Mark, a wealthy young man who, according to this world's standards, had everything. Yet he was searching for something else for his life. And he came across the path of Jesus Christ. I think about Nicodemus, the most popular teacher in all of Israel, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus had it all, man. I mean, he had power and wealth and education and religion. Yet there was a hole in his heart as big as the Sea of Galilee. (laughs) And so one night he came to Jesus looking for answers. And afterwards, his life was never the same again. I think of blind Bartimaeus, whose path crossed that of Jesus and whose life was changed. And for the first time, he could see. I think of this wee little man we read about in the Bible, Zacchaeus, who was much like Levi. One day Jesus stopped and looked at him up in the sycamore tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down for today I'm bringing salvation to your house. Stories like that just just have a desire in my heart to read through the Gospels and notice all the people whose lives were changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of them. But you know what? So are there here today. Right here at Kavanaugh Church. There there will be and have been hundreds of people who have come through this church who can give you the same testimony that just like that, Jesus changed their life. Not only that, there are millions around the world because the Lord Jesus Christ is in the life-changing business and he can change your life today if you'll let him. He says the same thing to you that he said to Levi. Follow me. Be my disciple. But guys, let me tell you something. You don't do that without counting the cost. It wasn't a whim on Levi's part. He had counted the cost. But you know what? He realized he needed the change. Do you? But now I want you to notice that the great change was followed by a great banquet, a great party. Verse 15 says, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. And that's the part I want to talk about, but the rest of the verse says, along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So those were the people at Levi's house. These sinners. Disreputable sinners. Jesus and his disciples. When Luke tells his story in his gospel, he tells us that it was a great feast that Levi threw for Jesus, or a great banquet. We would call it a huge party today. And instantly, all of a sudden, this man Levi has turned into an evangelist. The first thing that he wants to do is to share Jesus Christ with his old friends who were in the same boat he was in. Isn't that great? I mean, Jesus has changed his life. He has now seen the light. I mean, really, he saw the light. The light changed his life. And so he wants all of his old friends to have their life changed as well. He wanted others to experience the same change as he had experienced. And he wanted his friends to meet the same Savior that he had met. Reminds me of a story I recently read, a true story about a police sergeant in Chattanooga, Tennessee. His name was John Baker. John was saved and his life radically changed and he became a very effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But when he turned 36 years old, he became sick and went to the doctor. And the doctor told him he had pancreatic cancer, also liver cancer. And he didn't have long to live. So he sent an invitation to 250 Chattanooga police officers that he worked with. And he rented a a restaurant, the whole restaurant out, and he had this great banquet for all of his police friends. And at the end of the meal, he got up and he started sharing about his faith. And he told them the change that Jesus had made in his life. And then he told them of his diagnosis and that he was dying with cancer. And he says, guys, I can stand up here tonight and tell you that I am happy. Even knowing that I'm about to die, I am happy because I know where I'm headed. I know where I'm going. And he said, guys, I love you guys too much to let you go to hell on my watch. And again, he explained the plan of salvation and invited them to be saved. Did you know that night 29 police officers accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and their lives were changed? Why? Because John Baker's life was changed. A big change had come over him. And he wanted to tell his friends. Same thing happened to Levi. He had this great banquet, but that isn't all. Levi actually became one of our Lord's apostles. You don't know him by the name of Levi. You know him by his other name, Matthew. And this is that man, Levi, who wrote the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. Jerome, who lived in the fourth century, tells us that Matthew composed the gospel of Christ. It was first published in Judea for Hebrews, but it was also translated into the Greek. A church father by the name of Irenaeus says that Matthew preached the gospel among Hebrews. He told others about the saving power of Jesus. Not only did he invite Sinners to his home with Jesus for them to be saved. He wrote a gospel and he preached the gospel to those of his day. But even to this day, he's still telling lost people about Jesus. Because we have his letter in the Bible, the gospel of Matthew. Guys, are you picking up what I'm putting down? When there is a change in your life of this magnitude, when Jesus changes everything you're going to become a witness for him. And you're going to throw a lot of banquets. You're going to open up your home. And you know what? Even if it's not your home you're opening up, every Sunday morning we have a banquet right here. What a great place to invite friends and family members and co-workers to this banquet on Sunday where they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But now there's a third thing to notice. Not only do we have this great change and this great banquet we read about, but we also read about this great physician. Uh, Let me go back to verse 15 and read that again along with 16 and 17. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
This past week as I studied this, I, I realized this, this is such a rich passage of Scripture. It's kind of like an onion. There's so many different peelings to this story. Man, I could preach this from all different sides and perspectives. One of them is just the people who were there. I mean, these were bad people. These were people you don't hang around. These were disreputable sinners. Dr. Piccarelli, one of the greatest uh, theologians we have amongst Free Will Baptists, wrote a commentary, and in his commentary, he tells us who these disreputable sinners are. He said they're prostitutes. They're thieves. They're murderers. They're people who live on the wrong side of town. They are people that good church people don't usually associate with. And you know, when I read this passage to you, you say, cool, man, that's neat. Way to go, Jesus. Way to go, Jesus, for rubbing shoulders with sinners. But you know what? Very few of us would do the same thing. I mean, that's just the way we are. We, we don't associate with people like this. Now, maybe it's okay for Jesus to do it in Mark chapter 2, but you know what? If those people showed up here at this church, how would we respond? I want you to think about that. How would we respond? Well, as I read this passage, it makes clear to me that there are basically two kinds of people in this story and maybe two kinds of people here at this church. Can I just get real personal with you? Well, even if you don't want me to, I'm going to, all right? Maybe the same two kinds of people are in both stories. Maybe there are here, here today those like, the Pharisees in this story, who are religious people who think they have it all together. I mean, you, you, you've done everything you're supposed to do. You've checked off all the boxes. I mean, you're here today. You're wearing your new Christmas clothes. When the offering plate is passed, you're going to put money into the offering plate. and You give to the poor. You do good deeds. You do this. You do that. You think everything is okay. And you don't think you need more of Jesus than what you already have. A little bit of Jesus is enough for you. It's the way these religious people were. They thought they were okay. And Jesus said to them, you know what? Healthy people don't need a doctor. And you think you're healthy people. The people who need a doctor are people who know they are sick. That's the second group of people. This scum who was there, they knew they were sinners. They knew they couldn't fix their life. They knew they had driven their life down into the ditch and hit a tree. They knew they needed a new driver behind the wheel. And Jesus said, those are the people I came to touch and heal. Let, let me make this point to you, and I think it's very clear in this passage. Jesus can only heal those who are willing to admit that they've got a problem. And make no mistake about it right here in this passage. We associate Jesus with healing and we associate healing with, with physical healing. And Jesus can do that. But what Jesus is talking about right here is not the physical healing of taking away cancer or removing a tumor or extending an arm. What he's talking about here is much deeper than that. We saw it in the previous story. What he's talking about here is healing us spiritually. He is the great physician and the only one who can do that. So I tell you again, listen to me, look at me, listen to me. 
the doctor is in the house. He is here today to heal those who admit they have a spiritual problem. One of my favorite uh, devotional writers and and a guy I love to listen to is an evangelist from Meta, Georgia, named Michael Guido. Michael's dead now, but uh, you can go on YouTube and still listen to some of his pithy little devotions that he would give. Uh, they're entitled, A Seed from the Sower. So if you can't spell Michael Guido, which is a weird spelling of a name, G-U-I-D-O, you can just type in A Seed from the Sower. And you, there's dozens uh, of, of little episodes of him giving devotional thoughts. And it's always in his garden in Meta, Georgia. It's kind of in the, the southern part of Georgia, and he's got a beautiful garden there with flowers growing, and, and he'll give this great little devotional thought. And Man, I, I, I loved Michael Guido. Still love listening to him today. Great preacher of the gospel in the state of Georgia. He, he told the story of, of one day he was at home, no one else was in the house except him and his Norwegian elk hound, a beautiful dog. Somebody knocked on the door. So Michael went and opened the door, and he said, the first thing I noticed about this relatively young man is that he only had one arm. One of his arms was missing. The, the man introduced himself and said, I've driven down from Atlanta to see you. I hope you can help me. So Michael invited him into the house, and the man sat on the couch, and Michael sat in his chair. And as soon as the man walked in the door, the Norwegian elk hound named G started growling at this man. And Michael thought that was unusual because the dog had never growled at anyone before. But he was growling at this man. So Michael kind of put the dog away. And as they sat down, the Norwegian elk hound climbed underneath the coffee table between Michael and this one-armed man. And the whole time that that man was there, the dog was growling in a low... It was upsetting to Michael because his dog had never acted that way. And so after a very brief conversation, Michael asked the one-armed man, what can I help you with? And here's what the guy said. I'm demon-possessed. <laughs> now, <laughs> I tried to put myself in Michael Guido's spot. I've just invited this man into my house. He's sitting right across from me. And the first thing that he says is, I'm demon-possessed. <laughs> How would that make you feel? <laughs> I'm understanding why my dog is now growling at this guy. Yeah? He went on to explain, I've heard you preach on the radio and I've seen you on TV and I hope that maybe you can help me. And that's why I've driven from Atlanta to Metter, Georgia, hoping you can help me. Let, let me tell you my story. He said it all started years ago. One day I was in my room in Atlanta and the demons started speaking to me. In audible voices, demons were speaking into my life in my room. And they told me to cut off my arm. I told them there's no way I would cut off my arm. They said, yes, you're going to cut off your arm. And the voices persisted all day. And finally I gave in, picked up a hacksaw, and I cut my arm off. Said after I got out of the hospital, I went back to my room. And they started talking to me again. The demons did. This time they told me, your life is not worth living. You're useless. You're no good. And he said, I admitted to them, no, I wasn't any good. And they said, why don't you just shoot yourself? And he said, well, I'm not going to shoot myself. And he argued with these demons, but they persisted all day. And he said, there were many voices speaking to me. Shoot yourself. And so he said, I picked up a gun, 
And I shot myself twice. But I didn't die. He said, after I got out of the hospital, I went to visit my dad, who's a very wealthy man. He allowed me to stay in his guest room. And during the night, the demons started speaking to me again. They told me to take that gun and go shoot my father. I argued with them and told them I was not going to do that, but they persisted. And so finally, I took the gun into my father's room. And as I was pulling the hammer of the gun back, my dad woke up, was able to stop me, had me arrested, and rightly so. He said, I've just gotten out of prison. He said, Mr. Guido, you may not believe anything I've told you, but I have documented proof to prove everything is true that I've told you. Can you please... Help me. So Michael Guido picked up a Bible and opened it to the New Testament and told him story after story from the New Testament of how Jesus had power over demon-possessed people. And then he said, let's kneel down and pray. And Michael said what happened next was pretty strange. Another voice came out of this man's mouth. Not the voice he had been speaking to me in, but a different voice that said, no, I will not pray. Michael said he got on his knees and prayed. <laughs> he prayed fervently for this young man. His heart was broken for this young man. In fact, I have written down his prayer. Here's what Michael Guido prayed. Here's a man, dear Lord, whom thou dost love and whom thou didst die for. Lord Jesus, cast out the demon of drink. Cast out the demon of lust. Cast out the demon of self-destruction and come into his heart. Lord Jesus, please come into his heart and save him now. And Guido said the man slipped to the floor and started praying himself and asking Jesus to forgive him and asking God to come into his life and asking the Lord to take those demons away from him and fill his life with the power of God. And after he prayed for a few minutes, he started rejoicing and saying, He's done it! He's done it! God saved me! And as they embraced... Gee, the Norwegian elk hound came out from underneath the coffee table and stopped growling. He was now licking the one-armed man's face. Because even the dog knew the transformation that had taken place in this man's life. Church, listen to me. This is the point. Jesus can't do much with people who think they're already righteous. Did you hear me? Jesus said it right here. I didn't come for people who think they're okay. I came for people who know they're not okay. Jesus has come to call sinners unto repentance. He has come to heal the sin sick, the broken hearted, the tear stained, the demon oppressed. Jesus has come to save the lost. Amen. And can I tell you something? The doctor is in the house. And Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. I don't know where you are in life, my friend. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're not here just by accident. You know you're here for a reason. Why? Because you keep messing up your life. 
You keep driving your life into the same ditch over and over again. You keep hitting the same tree day after day. And you're sick and tired of the life you've been living. Well, it's not a new coat of paint that your life needs. You need a new driver behind the wheel. You need someone behind the controls of your life that know what they're doing. And that person is Jesus Christ. So maybe today, like Levi, you need a great change in your life. Jesus can change you. That's what he came to do. Will you let him? It could be that you're here today and you're a Christian. Uh, But I don't know, sometime this past year, I don't know exactly when it was, but you got off track. And instead of allowing Jesus to control your life and drive the steering wheel of your life, you've gotten back in the driver's seat. And you're calling the shots. You're making the decisions. And right now you see how futile that is and where it's gotten you. And today you want to come back and just turn that control back over to Jesus. He's here. The doctor's in the house. And he's here to take care of you. Maybe you're here today and you just need to come and pray. Give him your problems. Ask him for help. Maybe you want to come and pray for 2018. That it be the best year that your family's ever had spiritually. And that God would bless our church. However God directs you, would you listen? Listen.